It has been since the end of June since I have uh, stood at a pulpit to um, preach. And uh, that seems like an awful long time um, to, to go that without doing that. Uh, there were lots of uh, other things. We did get to go to Hawaii for a couple of weeks, and that was wonderful and encouraging and helpful. We are in the process of trying to remodel the downstairs of the house that we live in with Lucas and Chrissy so that we can uh, function better and uh, live together and and uh, hopefully not have falling outs together in the midst of it. My My daughter was trying to egg me on to do something that I have done in the pulpit uh, for a long, long time. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and do it because she made me. Years ago, uh, I don't know if you heard of David Maine's Chapel of the Air, those things. Um, one of the things that he did, he and his wife did, they wrote several books uh, fable books that are telling the story of Christianity in many ways. And in that story, in that, that, those stories, uh, there are um, some nights. Don't you like the stories about, not the, not the nightfall, but the knights who have the lances and the swords and those things. And these guys were the guys who were going to take care of things. They were going to guard the kingdom. And um, they wouldn't see each other very often. But when they did, they would call out to one another. And they would say, the first one would respond and say, How goes the world? And the the other knight would say, the world goes not well, but the kingdom comes. That was, you can understand now why that was, that kind of, did that do something for you there? The kingdom comes. And that's the... uh, the thing that we don't want to ever forget. Regardless of what it looks like, either in here or out there or wherever, God is at work. And God is doing amazing things. We may not always see it, but we have to believe that God is at work. The kingdom comes. We do need to uh, take note of the passage that we read in Matthew, Matthew 7. The wise man and the foolish man, two kinds of foundations. One was uh, a rock foundation, 
because this guy was, I don't know if he was smart or maybe he was just lucky or whatever, however it came about, he heard what was said and he did what he was supposed to do. He had a rock foundation, which meant that he heard what was said and he acted upon it. The second guy had a sand foundation. He did not listen. He did not act. And when the storm came against his house, it was devastation. It was completely gone. Jesus gives us clear instructions again and again. James, I, I, I'm kind of enjoying the fact that because it's, it's been... What did we say, Linda? 20 years since I preached James before. So, uh, it's been encouraging to come back and look at it again. Because we often think of it as a children's passage. It's something that we do for our kids because we sing the song, right? The wise man built. Yeah, you know the song. James, to his credit, did hear, and he did act. And because of what God had done in his life and what he believed, how he believed in his own brother, it was going well for him. This morning we are looking at the idea of trials. Anybody have trials? I think we have a whole bunch of trials this morning because of the people were supposed to be here and then they weren't and they couldn't and all those things. So, and then you've got a meeting afterwards and those are things that happen. Those are trials, and those are things that we would rather not deal with, but we have to. They have a purpose. They have a purpose because those trials come from God. God does this work in us. There, when God brings stuff to the table for us, what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to eat it. We're supposed to do whatever it is that, that's been given to us. I could tell you some stories about Lucas and his food issues. But he's not here to defend himself. He, he's watching, I'm, I'm sure he is, yes. There is... When God brings trials into our lives, they are for a purpose. They're not our, our favorite thing to deal with. We would much rather 
deal with something easy and fun and all of that. Jesus gives us those clear instructions and James echoes them. Trials are not generally our favorite things to deal with, but they do have that purpose. They help us. They help us because they bring a test to us. Do we believe what God has said? Are we going to do what God has said? This morning we're going to see that there are three very clear parts in in this passage that we're looking at this morning that will help us understand that there is this test of the righteousness of our ways. Are we righteous in our ways? Then there's the test of our reception of God's word. Are we receiving God's word and believing it and owning it and and tracking with it again and again? And there's also the test of the reality of our worship. We get all of that in about eight verses. So, Lord, we come to your word now and we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that you would make it clear to us what you want to do, what you want us to do, how you want us to respond as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We start with the... Verses 19 and 20. Trials test the righteousness of our ways. It's a reminder of what our ways should be. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Does anybody have a problem with anger? Own it, yes. We there are things that we get angry about that are inconsequential, but we, for some reason, kind of go off. And then there are times that we need to stop and look and see what is it that I'm really doing here? Is it really worth the aggravation and the the mess that gets made in the midst of that anger. A reminder of what our ways should be. Trials test the righteousness of our ways. We should be those who are swift to hear. That's what James says. We need to be those who are swift to hear. Quick. Instead of being dull. 
Now, I know that there is a, there's a real, there's a real, I don't know what, a conflict, a real mess. I would imagine if I, if we, if we raised our hands and said as, as a, as a guy that my wife has told me several times that I probably need hearing aids. Any, any of you others are getting that message saying, yes, you need to go. Well, good news, we went to Costco after I had already been told, oh, yeah, you probably need some. And so I went to Costco and she did a test there. And she said, no, you still got a couple of years maybe. But that's not always the way it works, is it? We should be those who are quick to hear. We want to pay attention, and especially when it's in God's Word. A reminder of what our ways should be. We should be those who are swift to hear, quick to hear. We need to pay attention. Not just to our wives, although that's important, but also to what God is saying and what God is putting before us and how God is working in our lives so that we respond to it, that we would hold on to it, that we would embrace what God is doing, that we would be prompt, that we would be ready Swift to hear, slow to speak. Now, just so we're clear, it doesn't mean it's like Forrest Gump. Right? Slow to speak. That's not the point, is it? Not speaking slowly necessarily, but the idea of making sure that you're speaking the right words. That you're saying the things that are true. Swift to hear. Slow to speak. And slow to anger. Especially, and in the context of it, with, without violent passion. Sometimes you just get a little ticked off. Other times you're really, really angry. But we need to be slow to anger, especially that which is, includes violent passion. Leads to all kinds of struggles and problems. Why, why should we follow this path? Well, because James tells us that the anger of man does not achieve, does not bring to fulfillment the righteousness of God. It doesn't measure up. Are there things that we should be outraged about, that we should be 
what in the world is going on? How can this be? How can you, how can you let this continue? And it continues. Our anger, Scripture tells us, our anger isn't like God's anger. God's anger is righteous. It, ours doesn't measure up. Ours is not going to bring about, I don't care how angry you are or, or how justified you are in the anger, you are not going to bring about God's work in the midst of this thing of anger. We don't measure up to it. We think we do. You, how many of you have felt that you are justified in being angry? There are all kinds of things that go on that tick us off and make us out of sorts. Our anger isn't the way to solve it. Trials test our reception of God's word. What kind of trials? I think it's kind of interesting how easily it is that we kind of go off. That you, we just get angry because it's our turn. Or however that might be. But trials test our reception of God's word. And when, when we are dealing with God's word... Anger is really not the place that we have to deal with that anger before we can get into the presence of the Lord, I think, there and deal with it. We have to at least acknowledge it and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Would you help me through this process? There's a preparation that takes place. Trials test our reception of God's word. Are we going to embrace it? Are we going to... Spend time with it. Are we going to say, yes, this is what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it because this is what God has told me to do? There's the preparation that is mentioned in here. And, and it's kind of like this idea of the pre- pre- preparation of the soil. And he uses, he says this phrase, he says, putting aside... You're going to put these things aside. And I, and I kept thinking, well, wait a minute. What, what are we putting aside? I think part of it is the idea, is there's a picture here of some planting that needs to go in. Some things that needs to, to be put into our lives so that we have the things that we need in order to do the things that God wants us to do. Putting aside, and it kind of sounded to me like you're, you're working in your garden. 
or your flower bed or whatever else it is. What do you do? What are you getting rid of? You're getting rid of weeds. You gotta, you gotta get the stuff out so that the soil and the plants can do what they're supposed to do. He says, he says we have to get rid of all filthiness, which was a strange word to me to think about the planting of the seeds. All filthiness. All that remains of the excess, the dirtiness, the cheapness, the shoddiness, the wickedness. There are times when our sins cloud our ability to receive God's word. Have you ever had that happen? You know that God is talking to you or you know that something's not right but you really don't want to go and talk to God about it. Because those things cloud, bring a cloud over and we, we, don't, we don't get it fixed right. There are times when our sins cloud our ability to receive God's word. And then there's the planting that takes place, still in this same kind of context here. The planting of the seed. We're to, we're to receive it. We, we're the ones receiving the planting. God is planting things in our heart and in our lives and in our experience, all of those things. We are to receive it with humility. The proper attitude. The word implanted is the way it's put. You want it planted well. And it's not just in the idea of the garden, but the, but the stuff in our hearts and in our lives. The word implanted because it is able... The word implanted is able to save and to deliver and to protect. I think we ought to look at what God's word says, right? God has given us, he says, these are the things. You can have it blocked off or you can have it received with the humility and the proper attitude, with the word implanted, because it is able to save and to deliver and protect. The product that comes out of that is good fruit. Isn't that what God's bringing into our lives, wants to bring into our lives? If we will listen to him, if we will follow in the steps that he has put before us, if, he's, if we're listening to him, if we're paying attention, able to save and deliver and protect the product, the good fruit. Proved through testing. I would imagine that, I know that some of you have extensive experience and 
much more understanding about plants and all those things than I do. But it is proved through testing. You get it to grow and you get it to grow and you get it to grow. Good fruit. There's also bad fruit. Have you ever had bad fruit? Did you eat it anyway? Some of us, I don't mind bananas that are a little darker, especially if I can put them in my cereal. You can have good fruit or you can have bad fruit. Merely hearers. Those are the ones who didn't join with James and didn't join with Jesus in this signing up to be in this together. That good fruit versus the bad fruit. Where we are merely those who hear. And he says they are deluding themselves. Have you ever been tricked or deluded by somebody else? They took advantage of you. Maybe it was a big thing. Maybe it was a little thing. But however it was, you kind of feel, uh, that's, that's not a good feeling. I don't, you know, we don't like being tricked or being messed around with. That, that's why we get angry. Merely hearers that delude themselves. And we've got a mirror here. One of those things that we've seen in Scripture other times, I think. A mirror, forgetful. We lose sight of... How, how do you lose sight of a mirror? Well, you walk away. I don't want to see that, so I'm going to look at it. If we are forgetful, if we lose sight, we're negligent and not keeping track and understanding and making sure that we're walking in the light where the Lord has put us. The trials test the reception of, our God, of God's word in our lives. And this third part, there are trials again. Trials that test the reality of our worship. I don't know, have you, have you ever... Have you ever gone ahead and said, you know, I just don't feel like going to church today. You know, things didn't go well this week. I think Dean's maybe looking for, let's just skip this week and jump to the next, okay? That that would work better for us. Trials test the reality of our worship. Are we, are we going to continue 
to honor God and to love Him and to call out to Him and to pray to Him even when it's not working well. That's the time we have got to. That's when we need to jump into the midst of this. Our worship and our words. There are those who think themselves to be religious, demonstrative in their worship. But is it, is it the real deal for me, or is it I'm just kind of getting through this because everybody else is here? And so if everybody else is here, okay, let's just get through church and get home, and I can just forget about all this other stuff. But this, here's, here's this person who is demonstrative in their worship, but they do not bridle their tongue. They do not have a control over their tongue. He is self-deceived. Now, it's one thing for, for your buddy to pull a trick on you, right? We, we did it at Bible school way back in the dark ages. You know, you just walk up and just kind of kick the heel of the guy in front of you. And, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Or did I? Self-deceived. Cheats. This is, it's, it's it's, he cheats his own heart. Have you cheated your own heart? Because you, you wouldn't... You were pretending to worship. You were going through the motions of worship... But maybe it, it wasn't really working for you that day or today or however it is. We can pretend. We deceive ourselves, however those things come along. This type of worship, James says, is vain. Not, not vain like you're putting on your your hairdo or whatever like that. Vain is the idea here of it's just not worth anything. Worthless, empty, profitless. It is an unsuccessful search. It is an unsuccessful search, especially for a search for an idol. Because you're going after something other than what God has put before us. Our worship. Our works. Are they pure? 
Are they undefiled? Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. Our worship and our works, we want them to be those things which are pure and undefiled. We want them to be seen before the Father in His sight as something that is pleasing to Him. Something that He welcomes. Something that He has brought even to us. So that we might truly visit with God. That we would be with him in his work in our lives. That we buy into what he wants to do in our lives. Sometimes, oftentimes, in our works, we need to be those who help those who are in distress. We, we, we visit those who are orphans and widows in their distress. We go there to see them and to relieve their, their hurt or their need. So the, the, the trials as they come... They get presented to us in a variety of ways and maybe you're looking around who is going to help me and maybe there's not another person and you're the one that's up to do what needs to be done in helping others. Are we wanting to be those who are going to deal with the, 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 the truth of our worship because our, if our worship doesn't go beyond that door, well, what's the point? It's just a show. It's just something that we're pretending. Orphans and widows in their distress and their helplessness. Our worship, our world, is in an absolute mess, obviously, right? Our worship, our world, God's work is pure. His work is undefiled. It is clean. And he wants to use us in trying to help those who are dealing with the lack, with the need, with the struggle, with the hurt. Our, pure, our, our worship, our world, pure, undefiled, in the sight of God our Father. That's what God wants us to do. To keep oneself unstained by and from the world's ways 
and the world's thinking. Several years ago, I stumbled onto some things that the Lord helped me understand. And I began to use what the Lord helped me understand. To use, I used this in the, at the end of my sermons. The things that, were, that I was hoping would be a way to kind of pull things together. And I used the picture or the idea of a prophet and the idea of a teacher and the idea of a shepherd. So if I were a prophet, that would deal with my responsibilities. However, if, if I'm a prophet, and I, then I have responsibilities to do what it is that God has put before me. And so I'm going to use this in a way to kind of close off where we are today. Our ways should be marked as being one who is swift to hear. One who is ready to hear. Have you ever done this? I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. Our ways should be marked as being one who is swift to hear, prompt and ready. Paying attention. We should be among those who are slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of mankind does not measure up to the righteousness of of God. I don't care how mad you are. The righteousness of God isn't worked that way. He is the one who brings, he is the one who understands, he is the one who provides and draws us to himself. The teacher would cause us to deal with the issue of values. What's important? What's worth something? Trials come and they test our faithfulness. Our faithfulness in being faithful and in persevering by not losing sight of the word. The word that is going to be implanted in our hearts That's able to save. It's able to get us out of the messes because of his work. And finally, the shepherd who would call us to commitment. The things that we need to do in response to what we've heard today. I will seek to be one who will be faithful in caring for others who are in need.
There's got to be something in there. It's got to be something that God has spoken to our hearts so that we would be those who do what he has called us to do. To deal with our anger, to deal with the challenge of God's word being built into our lives. Lord, we are grateful for your faithfulness to us. We are grateful, Lord, for your word that is such a blessing as you show us again and again and again your faithfulness, even in the midst of the trials, you are with us. And you do your work in transforming our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.